We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, the Bible's kind of split into two halves. There's the Old Testament, which is God's story before Jesus came to the earth. Then there's the New Testament, which starts with four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell the story of Jesus, and then more about following Jesus in the rest of the New Testament. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament, and we'll be in chapter 25. Quick opening thought, found a story uh, about something that happened recently in a planet fitness. Have you heard of the big gym chain called Planet Fitness? Here's a picture on the screen of a Planet Fitness workout facility. And the story's about the gentleman up in the left. Here's, what the, here's how the story goes. 34-year-old Eric Stagno. He walked into a Planet Fitness, took off his clothes, and started wandering around. As he wandered naked in the gym, eventually he settled in in the yoga area on a yoga mat, started stretching. Sorry, don't picture that. They eventually called the police. Here's what the headline read. Naked man arrested at Planet Fitness said he thought it was a judgment-free zone. I didn't make that up. That's like a real, that's a news story there. Thought it was a judgment-free zone, which is part of the Planet Fitness advertising deal. It's a, a weird, simple way to bring up the idea of, of judgment or judgment-free or judgment zone. And where I want to head here is toward a question as we move toward spiritual things. Ready? Here's the question. Is God's... I'm, I'm watching for it. I'm going to read it off the screen. There it is. Is God's kingdom a judgment zone or a judgment-free zone. I'm going to answer the question quickly so we don't get it wrong because, because it's actually when you consider God and who God is, God is a God who judges. Now for some of us, if you know Jesus Christ, you know that Jesus' death on the cross saves us from the judgment of God. But if you, but if you look at the uh, entirety of who God is and the presence of God, judgment's part of the story. Another way to think of it is God's a God who brings consequences for our actions, both good and bad. He's a God who makes judgments, and those judgments then have ripple effects on our lives. Some examples, some of the early stories in the Bible, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and there, were there was a consequence because of that. God judged them, brought consequences, punishment. After the Adam and Eve story, early in Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve have two sons. One of the sons' name's Cain, and he killed his brother, Abel. And, and there were consequences because he did that. Uh, in fact, uh, Cain ends up responding to God after the consequences are brought onto him. And in Genesis 4.13, Cain says back to, to God, he says, my punishment is more than I can bear. 
God punished him for killing his brother. Just a little side note, that makes sense, right? Consequences make sense. If you want to look at a severe case in the book of Numbers, chapter 25, God's people are committing sexual immorality and they won't quit. They just keep doing it. And as a result, it describes in that chapter, 24,000 people die of a plague. Uh, and it's God's judgment um, that happens before someone does something to, to help the whole community repent. But in the midst of the sexual immorality, there was this judgment thing, punishment, pain was happening. It's not just an Old Testament thing. In the New Testament, part of Jesus' message Part of Jesus' message in John 9, 39 says this, For judgment I have come into this world. So is God's kingdom a judgment zone or a judgment free? It's a judgment zone. There's judgment there. So that brings us to another question. How does the judgment zone work? Because that's a pretty big deal. You don't want to be on the wrong side of the judgment thing of God. And so today we're in this series called Kingdom Stories. We're looking at teaching stories or parables. Most of them are the stories uh, are the teaching stories of Jesus. And today we're going to look at the parable of the sheep and the goats, which is a parable that helps us get insight into how God's judgment works. Just a little bit of the context. Um Well, first of all, can I say this? Uh, you can't deal with all of how God's judgment works in a 30-minute talk. Okay? So, everybody, you understand that? We're not going to figure it all out, but we're going to learn a few things from this parable. And in this parable, it's a picture of the final judgment. So, this will be at the end of time when everyone is separated and you're either going to be uh, under God's blessing or under God's curse or judgment. And the picture in the story is going to be a king or a shepherd sitting in a high place and he's, and he's identifying people. He's saying, you go that way and you go that way. And that's like, like a shepherd would separate sheep from goats. And so it's, there's several verses, so hang in there because it's really important. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's a reference to Jesus, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? 
or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he, the king, will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. That they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Title of the talk this weekend is God's Judgment Zone parable of the sheep and the goats. And uh, again, you can't deal with all of judgment in 30 minutes, but I see two things that I think will help us navigate this. And this is a big deal, right? Um, <laughs> so as I talk about this, I'm probably going to end up doing a lot of this. He will say to the, the sheep side, by the way, you sat in the right section, everybody over here, the sheep side of the room. I am so sorry for the references that are coming over here. But uh, let's, let's just pause and pray. God, this is a really important deal. And uh, I just pray, as I think we usually pray, help us. Be our teacher. And I, for one, uh, I'm asking for the grace of, uh, of an open heart to hearing the truth. Talk to us, I pray, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Two things that I see regarding this judgment zone picture of God. The first thing is this. God's judgment zone is strikingly separated. And I don't like my fill in the blank there. Separated. Right in separated and then it's right off to the side, right? Different experience or something like that. Different experience. And what I want to talk about is the reality that the sheep experience is absolutely very, very totally different than what the goat's experience will be on this judgment day. In verse 34, the sheep get to hear this. Come you who are blessed. Let's compare these two experiences. Come you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Like, I imagine him saying this with a smile. I've been working on a place since the creation of the world. You are blessed. You are going to a phenomenal spot. Going to have streets of gold. Some of the scripture indicates streets of gold. It's going to have streams that are crystal clear. It's going to have God's presence in it. Woo! It's going to be really good. But compare that, compare that to, oh, it's so different. That is such a different picture than 
the goats, right, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So this is like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Over, It's going to be, this is, you're going to go to the place where the devil is, is receiving the punishment that he deserves. Some of you, in the last service, we had a person move from this side to that side. They almost got, they were right here and they started creeping that way. I said, Tony, get over that. <laughs> well, one thing that I was considering was if you were on the, if, if we end up in the goat side of this, how disappointing is that going to be? Like when, when we realize, if we would realize this heaven and eternity presence of God. And then if we were one that he said, no, you're on this side. How <laughs> disappointing. We need a better word than disappointing. Like, you've got to be kidding me. And I think maybe there's some place where we could go, come on, I, this seems very extreme. They get perfection and we get, I have to go to where the devil's being punished. What disappointment. Like, oh, this can't be right. There's Because there's such a separation. Isn't there a middle ground somewhere? Right? Isn't there like a, and uh, as I was thinking about this experience difference, I thought about this last weekend, I uh, was uh, flying on a plane out to Denver to my niece's wedding, and I don't know why, I was just uh, observing the difference in seating on a plane. And so, I know, how many of you, like, you, most of us maybe have taken flights and we're flying somewhere, and I thought about the different groups as they call different groups into the plane. Now, go with me on this. I don't know why I was paying attention to this, but I remember as they were up there, uh, you know, saying, and now we would like group one, and, and they, it was something like this. I'm going to exaggerate. It was something like, and now group one, special people. Gold star member, wonderful people who have enough money to sit in nice places. If you would join us, or, or active military service, it was this, you're the group one. And they actually say, and you can enter through the priority lane. There's a lane that they get to go in if you're in group one, or maybe even group two, if you have this. And so they invited, it was just a few people got up and, you know, Walked over there and said, thank you so much. And they all get to go in because they're group one. Or maybe it's group tours. I don't know. And then it's, and there are a lot of groups. By the way, you know, and then you get to group three. And we also would like to thank, you know, welcome the group three and group four. And by the way, the group, group three and the group fours, they got to take their carry-on luggage with them into the plane. Oh, thank you. Welcome. Yes, come on in. We'll put that up in the overhead compartment. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm group six. So that's my number. By the time they get to six, it, this is the way it felt. And group six and the rest of you losers can now get on the plane. <laughs> that's group six. Because by the time they get to group six, it's like that's the rest of us. And everybody gets up and we're like, walk. we don't even get to go through the priority lane. We're like, I just thought about maybe I'll go to the, get over there. Because you can't, by the way, we're going to the same plane, the same door, but there's this other lane for the rest of us. We get to the door. Thank you, Mr. Pope. They took my carry-on bag. 
because there's not enough room for my carry-on bag. So they put a little tag on. I'm like, what are you doing with my bag? We're duct taping it to the bottom of the plane. No, I'm making this up. But you know, so like, I don't even get to keep my bag with me because I know you'll pick it up after you get there and then we'll have it out on the gateway thing. There's this great, and then I get onto the plane and I actually had this brain moment where I was confused because when I got on the plane and I walked into the smaller plane and when I first walked in, I thought, gosh, there's all kinds of room in this plane. And <laughs> I took 10 more steps and I realized, oh, God, that's first class. Because they had it's like, then I got back to my section of the plane. I was seat 24, you know, you know so you're, then you're getting all the way through there, got to the back. Of course, I'm the window seat, and I have to look at these two people and go, I'm so sorry. I got to get back in that little cubby hole there. And so they have to get up, and you're like, all that stuff. So it's the plane experience. I go, and I sit there. Now, here's what I want to do. My experience in the plane was very different than group one. But what I want to clarify is that's not actually a good picture of what's happening in the text because in my plane experience, although my experience was less than some people, I still got on the plane. Okay? I still got, and I still got to the same destination. And some of there were common things in my group six plane experience. But if you go back to the text, there is nothing common about you don't, if you're, if you're a goat, you don't get on the plane. You don't need, you couldn't, you, you wish you could just sit in the toilet the whole ride, but you can't do any of that. There is this God-given, very clear, no creeping across the other direction, separation in the experience. And it's a major, big deal experience. Fill in the blank. God's judgment brings dreadfully different consequences. Really different. Heaven will be awesome. Heaven will be awesome. In Revelation chapter 21, 3 and 4, it's one of the descriptions that we get some insight into what heaven will be like. And it says, talking about God, it says he will be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning. There won't even be sadness there. There will be no crying. There will be no pain. There won't be any emotional pain or physical pain. And even if you're in your 60s and your joints are bad, when you get to heaven, like you, you'll be like, no, 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 I feel good. I feel good. Da, na, 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 na. Something. Man, it'll be amazing. So that's a picture of heaven. Hell, uh, an example of uh, hell is going to be horrible. In Luke chapter 16, there's a story, by the way, if you, if you take the time to study it, you might think it's a parable, but it's not, because Jesus uh, talks of a rich man who goes to hell and a poor man who goes to heaven, but the poor man, his name is Lazarus, and in a parable, this is my take on it, a parable, Jesus doesn't use specific names of people in parables. And so it's not a parable, it's a story because Jesus is God and he knows the different experiences. And so he's explaining to somebody, there's two guys. 
One of them's Lazarus, he's in heaven, and the other one, is a, a, he doesn't give a name, was in hell. And part of that description is this, in verse 25, Lazarus is comforted, he's comforted, heaven is a comfortable place. And then the rich man is in agony. So I was exploring those two words, comfort, in the original language, it's this word, it's to call, encourage, comfort, and console. This might not be right, but I picture, uh, you ever, I, I picture a phenomenal back rub. It, this, this thing, and then when I thought about that, I thought, if you're in a, if you're, if you're getting a back rub, like it's a great back rub, and then the back rubber would say, you want me to stop now? What do you say? What are you, idiot? Never. Why don't you ever stop? You can do this. And so it might not be a great, but, but anybody who tells you that eternity or heaven, you'd be like, oh, I don't know if everything's all, it might sound boring or it'll get, it'll never get old. It's, it'll be this eternal comfort and peace and help and it's going to be good. Compare that word comfort to the word agony, which was the descriptor of the, in this story for the other man. It's to cause or suffer acute pain, torment, physical or mental consuming sorrow. So this point made me ask this question of myself, and I'm presenting it to you. Am I taking spiritual things seriously enough? If you want to reword it, the challenge is take are we taking our relationship with God seriously enough? Oh, we should. This is, this is so important. Uh, I can't tell you how many times in the last week since I've been considering this parable that I have committed or recommitted to Jesus. Like, oh God, help me be serious about spiritual things today. Help me be serious about following Jesus. Help me be serious about repenting from sin. Help me be serious about... Because I think in our world, it's easy to just, ah, it's all right. Everybody's going to go to heaven. And it's not the case. And if, if you're a person, which I, I get it, it's easy to be there. But if we're not taking things spiritually serious, this is, I've got a, a word from the Lord for you today. Wake up. And I'm, I'm glad that you're in church. I'm glad that you're watching. Because it's likely that the Holy Spirit is calling you and saying, get serious about God. There are all kinds of things I think that we can get on tangents and be serious about. But, but if God is not at the top of the list, let's adjust, shall we? Because we're talking heaven and hell, eternity. God is a punishing God, right? So keep. If you're there, keep being serious about God. If you're not there, great day to adjust and repent again and say, God, I'm sorry. I lost track. I want to be serious. God's judgment zone is strikingly separated. The other thought from the text is his judgment zone is connected to compassion. Connected to compassion. Now, this is a, kind of a different turn in this parable because I would think after the whole judgment thing, 
then the parrot would talk about running to Jesus, and you've got to know Jesus, and, and all those things are true. But to be true to this parable, it talks about the reality of the separation is based on our compassion toward people in need. Verse 35, this is the blessing or the cursing is connected to this. The king says, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes. All these are social situations where people are in need, and those that are blessed are people who helped. Here's a fill in the blank for this point. When God is looking to judge, he assesses an individual's kindness is one way to put it. Kindness. And still, as I read this parable, I get taken aback every time I read it because it feels like, in my, it, it adjusts my theology because a lot of times what I think of in terms of people of the sheep, I think, well, what would be the characteristics of the sheep? What's the primary characteristics that gets us on the, the right side and away from judgment? And I usually think about things like, well, it's the people who, who don't sin as much or seek, you know, it's the people who like don't don't they only cuss in their mind like that's helpful i don't know that it's not, you know or they're they're the ones that don't flip people off on the road because they're trying to act like jesus and or they're the people who um who honor marriage and morality things and i those are all you know important things and there are other texts we could go to but it's amazing to me in this text that's not anywhere in the list it's just how did you do at and then we'll put the, is there five different things that I was hungry and you're thirsty? And in this parable where Jesus is talking about the end times, this is the stuff. So the, the question is for us, how are we doing at this stuff, everybody? If somebody's hungry, are you giving them a sandwich or something? If they're a stranger, are you being kind and introducing yourself or something? Welcoming them. A little side note. This is to everybody who calls Vineyard Church their home. Folks, we need to keep being a welcoming church. If you don't know somebody around you, uh, be kind. Uh, it's just part of the job description of, of a Christian is, I don't know you, hi, how are you, some kind of a welcoming idea. We, I'm sorry, that was a, a note, but back up on the screen, right, if they're a stranger, invite them in, be kind, and if they're closed, they're cold, you want to, can you, you want to need my sweater? Give them your sweater, help them. If they're sick, they have COVID, figure out a way to visit them, Zoom with them, put on four masks, and go visit at their house, and sit out in their front yard, or do something, though, you can't just go, gosh, bummer. That's not what Christians do. We care more. I just feel like going on like 50 tangents this whole talk during this thing. We care more than most people. That's what we're supposed to do. By the way, this is connected to the fact that Jesus Christ 
cares. Basically, this is an invitation to be like Jesus. God is a God who looked down to people in need and said, wow, that looks bad. And he sent Jesus Christ into the need to be helpful to people. That's what this invitation is. He could have stayed separated. He said, no, I'm going to bring help. And by the way, like the prison one, sick and in prison, I thought of this. The, the challenge with this is like if you're in prison, you probably did something, probably did something to deserve being in prison. But the gospel says, but we don't discard those people even though it's their own fault. How many of you know we all do some stuff and we suffer and it's our own fault? Do I need to talk about this? How many of you know we suffer and it's our own fault? I'm going to ask it again because a few of you don't get it, right? We have the consequences, so we're sad or we're lonely or we don't have this thing. And some of that's on us. And the good news of God is even though we deserve the consequences that we get, he engages and he comes to us. And so like the prison thing, you, 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 we engage with compassion even though there are times that they deserve what they're getting. But God in his grace and we in our love say, it's okay, I'm not going to discard you and I'm still going to help you, even though you're somewhat getting what you deserve. It's an invitation to be like Jesus. One other, just a couple other things before we close. This is not the only uh, parable that connects eternity with that connects compassion with eternity. And if you want to write this down, this was new to me, Luke chapter 10, which includes the story of the Good Samaritan, which many of us know. Story of the Good Samaritan. We'll put part of the text up on the screen, put the whole thing up there. The reminder, the Good Samaritan, there's a guy who's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He gets attacked by robbers. He's bloody. He's beaten up. And he's half dead, laying in the ditch. And most people just pass him by. And then the good Samaritan comes and he has compassion. He just does the kind of stuff we're talking about right now. He helps him. He could have left him, left him there. He puts him on his own donkey and he takes him to a place and he makes sure he's bandaged and probably gives him food. He does those things. And I did not realize the context of this parable of the good Samaritan, what what happened right before Jesus taught this parable was a man came and asked, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be a sheep in the midst of the story of the sheep and the goats? That's part of why Jesus told the parable of compassion. Does that make sense? What do I do to inherit eternal life? And eventually he gets to, let me tell you a story about how, how important compassion is to people, and it's connected to eternity. So wrapping up, God's judgment zone is strikingly separated. It's connected to compassion. And I want to finish with a thought, and it's a fill-in-the-blank and it's this, am I clearly a sheep? That's a great question. 
it kind of connects to the earlier thought about taking spiritual things seriously. Am I clearly a sheep? And if you're like me, it just convicts me to continue to run to Jesus as my Savior. Right? Invite the Holy Spirit to be my guide. It also challenges me to not let compassion ministries fall off of my list. Today, if you see someone and they're in need, do something. I noticed in the parable that the master says, I was hungry and you gave me nothing. Like, you gave me nothing. Why don't you stand and we'll close. As usual, there'll be a team of people over here to pray uh, about anything going on in your life. There's good news in this. God's a God who uh, is compassionate. And you may have some pain or some difficulty in your life. And some of it might even be your fault. <laughs> right? Because you were an idiot and you shouldn't have done that. And then you did this happened and now you're in a mess. Can I tell you that God's a God who sends Jesus and his spirit to, to oftentimes uh, help us in our mess. So if you're in a mess, uh, come let some people pray for you. I'm going to finish our time together with a closing prayer about just spiritual seriousness. And so I can't pray. I can kind of pray this for you, but it's a decision you have to make. My hope is that this talk will just raise our spiritual temperature, challenge us to follow God, follow Jesus, because it's super important. Let's pray. God, I pray it again this service. I am grateful for Jesus Christ, and I am submitting my life to him again as the Lord of my life, not just the Savior, but I want to be a serious follower of Jesus. Because I absolutely want to be in the sheep group. I pray for all of us that right now are, again, in that recommitment or that serious thing. God, don't let this talk uh, leave us quickly. Help us have traction even today in our commitment with you and our commitment to being compassionate. And I pray for a, a holy fear of being outside of your will. Have mercy on us, God. Have mercy on me, on us. In Jesus' name, amen.